Please be seated. I was so happy with the timing of the scripture this morning for a few reasons. First of all, I think you all know that the lectionary, the revised common lectionary, which most churches use so that we're all reading the same passage at the same time all around the world, means that this passage I preached on three years ago to Sherry's um, iPhone, which was mounted to a tripod and slightly askew in an empty congregation, and everybody was home on lockdown. We didn't have our live streaming technology yet. We didn't have air transfer in the sanctuary yet. And this passage, which is so completely about drawing in a community, I couldn't really preach it, preach on it the same way I can, praise God, preach on it this morning. Also, um, Reverend Jake Joseph very kindly preached on the psalm last week, and I feel like he left one of the stories just that precedes this on the table for me, which is terrific. So the story that was the gospel reading last week, which Jake didn't read, was the story of Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night. And today our story is the woman at the well. And these two stories, for those of you who are interested in art history, they form something of a diptych, two, two images that are supposed to be set side by side, like a twin pair of stories that we understand most clearly when they are together. And when they're broken up in the lectionary and you hear one week and one the next week, they lose some of their impact. So I'll preach on both this morning. And then finally, that this falls on a new member Sunday, which is, as again, as I mentioned, is so much about enfolding people into this message, this good news. It sounds so different when we have just read together that we are united in striving, that we are together as a community. It's also very much a passage that wrestles with understanding and seeking, being thinking, thoughtful people. And the new members pointed out at our orientation over Zoom, so many of them are here because they want to learn and grow in their faith. They're deeply intellectual in the way that they come to the scriptures. And we will hear throughout these passages that we labor for the progress of knowledge. This is really, really important. And we strive to know the will of God as taught in holy scripture and in life. So listen for these themes that are reflected in the covenant that we just read. So to begin with the first panel of our artwork, we will encounter Nicodemus. Let us listen together for the word of God. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jewish people. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born. And here we have a word which has three meanings in Greek, but only one in English. So we miss the importance of it when we just read it in English. Without being born from above, so that's one reading, Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born, after, born again after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Because he took it to mean again and not from above. It can mean again, anew, or from above. So you hear how Jesus and Nicodemus are missing each other in this conversation. So Jesus has to clarify 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And this passage closes with one of the most famous and beloved Bible passages of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then, as though in an answer to this passage, what does that mean that God so loves the world? What does it mean that, God, that Jesus doesn't come to condemn but to save? We have this second story. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.' His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. You Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit 
and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking with you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. The story goes on. But the people return toward the end and say, Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And later they say, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we now know that this is truly the Savior of the world. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding of this holy word. So friends, in preparing these two stories for you, I wondered if it would make for a good reader's theater. And I even found two scripts with three roles, one for Jesus and one for Nicodemus and one for the woman. And I wondered what it might be like if we acted it out up here. I had some folks in mind for who might make good roles. And I decided not to do that, but the reason... I know, can you imagine if I handed out scripts right now? The reason is I kept imagining the lighting that we would need and the drama that we would have to play up. I imagined it being set in something more like a black box theater, and we would need a director, and we would need a costume designer. And we could play up all of these contrasts. Did you catch that Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night? We would need to turn out all the lighting and just have one flickering candle and then contrast that with the woman who comes In the blazing heat of high noon, we would need the lights, all of these theater lights shining down on her. And we would need the costumes to be just right. That this Nicodemus, he would be dressed in like a lawyer's shark suit, perfectly tailored. And he might even have some sparkling cufflinks on his wrists. And then this woman would have to be dressed in something that looks like it was dirty and tattered and came from the dollar bin out of a Salvation Army. In his posture, he would have his shoulders thrown back. The first thing he says is, we know. He comes in full of his own conviction and truth. Whereas her first words are, how is it that you? He is named. He has two high-class statuses. He has a Greek name, which means that he would probably be able to move around well in Greco-Roman society. And she is unnamed and unlucky, possibly even, scholars tell us, shunned by her community. Only a woman who had been shunned would come in the heat of the day to draw water. Women would have been in a community, would have come first thing in the morning when the dew had not yet dried up, with friends, singing songs, coming to the well together. But no, she comes all alone in the heat of the day. And her posture would probably be one of shoulders slumped. But probably her face would have been upturned as she took in the awe of the situation 
as she wondered aloud, full of amazement and open-mindedness at this encounter. She begins with, how is it that you? A question. If a director to cast this were also familiar with this culture, we would have signals, I don't know what they might be, that this is what's called in filmography a meet-cute scene. Do you all know what that means? Boy meets girl, or boy meets boy, or girl meets girl, but you know they're going to fall in love. This is the beginning of a romantic scene. Uh, Two people coming together beside a well is symbolic in the Bible for a betrothal scene, an engagement How might we cast that? It's sort of like that taxi scene in our movies where you're racing to the airport trying to catch the person before they go through the gate to confess your undying love for them and establish a relationship just before they move across the country. Do you know that scene when you're watching a movie and you know that trope, you know where this is headed? But then this confounds our expectations. Jesus doesn't become engaged to this woman. He engages with her in a theological dialogue. And the Bible always, when it sets up your expectation that things will be one way and it switches it, it shows you just how critically important this moment is. Wait, this is something else altogether. Pay attention. Another thing that a really good director would be able to highlight for us is all of these dynamics at play in one character, Nicodemus, occupying what Isabel Wilkerson would describe as the cast that is known as the dominating or subordinating cast, while the other occupies the dominated or subordinated cast. In every way, Nicodemus, classically educated with the right kind of name and the right kind of credentials, occupies every single, checks every single box, the gender, every kind of status. And for her, who's lost five husbands and living with someone she's not married to, Being a Samaritan woman, so in conflict with Jewish people and Samaritans, considering each other to be fully enemy, even hated, she occupies, she has every single check in her identity of what makes her other in this conversation. Now, some scholars try to describe this encounter as one of of crossing over the boundary of race, But race and racism are modern invention and had nothing to do with the ancient world. And that's why caste and caste systems make so much more sense here. She was from a subjugated caste. And one of the ways we see this interesting play here is that she actually acknowledges that she is family, which is where Isabel Wilkerson goes when she says again and again, we are one species. We have one common ancestor. She says, our ancestor to him. She she reminds Jesus they are from the same human family, even the same Jewish family. So I usually cringe when people say there are two types of people in this world because I want to say, really? Do you really think that? But these stories are setting up for us. There are two archetypes of ways to be faithful. There's Nicodemus and there's the woman at the well. Do you see it? Two totally different places we can occupy in an encounter with Jesus. And I think it's fascinating that in the early Christian community, there were people who might have identified each as their spiritual ancestor. They might have heard in the story, well, I do come from this place in society, or I, might, I come from that place in society. 
But in the early church, there was such a beautiful diversity. People who, prior to encountering Jesus, would have called one another their enemy. We had one percenters joining at a table with people who were enslaved. We had religious elite people who were classically educated joining with people who learned their life lessons from hard lives on the streets. We had women flocking to this community because it gave such liberation. Children coming in who Jesus held up as the model and the example. We had people of every different nationality all coming together to be the church together. So they understood that they had folks like Nicodemus and folks like the woman at the well. And what happens in this story as they play out, did you catch how the woman, after her encounter with Jesus, rushes to get the community and bring them in? There must have been many people who traced this as their origin story. Yes, we're Samaritans, but yes, we follow Jesus. And she's why. She left her water jug at the well and she raced to get this community that had shunned her. Think how bold and brave she had to be to make that leap. And she says to them, come and see. It cannot be the Messiah, can it? In this open-ended invitational question. Come in and see. Because of this, she's called in the early traditions the earliest apostle. She's the first one to go out and bring in a whole nation. And they couldn't abide in the early church with the fact that she has no name. She had to have been more important than that, right? So I don't know if they passed this along and said, oh, we know her. It was my great-grandmother who was invited into the tradition through her. And they recalled and remembered her name and passed it on through tradition. Or if they just made up a name for her because she had to have one. Well, her name is Fotine, and it means illuminated one. And she's celebrated all around the world in traditions where they have saints. Unfortunately, we don't in our tradition, or what we would do on her saint day is share juice boxes with everybody, because she was the one who encountered Jesus at the well and who had this conversation about a quenched thirst. So Saint Fotine, or Apostle Fotine, isn't that beautiful that she had to have a name? And so Nicodemus comes back later in the story also. His story is not over. He isn't just held up as a foil. Oh, this foolish person. Here was him and here was the point just going right over his head. No, his story progresses throughout the Gospel of John. He's even there at the foot of the cross. We'll come to that later in the season. But she is an early apostle, a model of faith and bringing people in. But really, it's not about Nicodemus or Fotine. It's about the church. It's about the church as a place of freedom and liberation. It's about the church that lifts up this one person, that shows that caste structures matter not at all. And so I have to come back to to this beautiful book, which she closes with, in a world without caste, instead of a false swagger, over one's own tribe or family or ascribed community, which I imagine is like Nicodemus, we would look upon all of humanity with wonderment, and we come back full circle to how this story describes, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world, and that meant everybody. And it also, besides what it tells us about the church, tells us 
who Jesus is and how he shows up for us in our lives. Who is Jesus and who is he in the story? What is he like? Well, for one thing, he shows up where we are and meets us where we are. And he uses whatever he has around us. If we go back to the story as it plays out in the moments in deep darkness with nothing but a candle burning, he teaches Nicodemus using images of darkness and light. And then sitting beside the well in the heat of the day, he uses the image of thirst and this well living up, the spring of living water. And while educating a person who is too literal, a little bit wooden-headed, he infuses humor into the conversation. He teases Nicodemus. What a better way. What, there's no better way to lighten somebody up when they get stuck in their own knowledge and their own big-headedness. And then when encountering this woman, who her whole life has probably been underestimated, he engages her on this deep theological level, and he draws her into a full revelation The first revelation in the Gospel of John he gives to her when they talk. He says to her that I am, and it harkens back to Moses, who says to God, tell me your name so that when I go and get all of the people, I can tell them who sent me. God says to Moses God's name, and it's the same name, I am, as in I exist. I am David Spollett used to say, I am the ground of all being. I am beingness itself, that God is essence and origin. I am is God's name. And so when Jesus says to her, I am, and she takes that name to the people, what's happening is he's revealing who he is as God. He's liberating her to take on this role of apostle. And he's turning her into a Moses figure, who will invite the people out of their own bondage and into this community of freedom. And as I'm preaching, I can see in our faces of peace, Harriet Tubman in the back of the room, who led her people from enslavement into freedom and was also called the Moses of her people. So Jesus is someone who meets us where we are, no matter where that place is, and includes us, no matter what we have done. This story, so many people think, is about this sinful woman. Well, Jesus never calls her a sinner, and he doesn't forgive her. He just includes her and involves her and invites her to take on this massive role to be an apostle and to share the good news and to be the first one to know who he is. She had probably not felt valued and valuable in a very long time, and yet she becomes this first apostle. So he gives purpose. The last line of this book is, A world without caste would set everyone free. And we find here in this early church what it really looks like that God would so love the world that everyone who believes might have eternal life, which doesn't really mean heaven. It's not an afterlife. It's life to the fullest here and now. Life like an ever-flowing stream breaking forth and gushing open. Water for the thirstiest person in the desert. That is what God has to offer. Our senior deacon, Wendy Williams-Brown, always prays for people, saying, may God meet them at the point of their need. And I think that's so profound and beautiful. Jesus, in these moments, meets us at the point of our need and fulfills her spiritual thirst, her spiritual longing. So may this be our prayer for us today. May Jesus meet us at the point of all of our needs, 
May the living waters he offers quench our spiritual thirst. If we have anything holding us back, like some water jug, may we leave it behind as we rush off to share the good news with others. And may we find ourselves enfolded into a full life, a community of freedom, boundless and bounteous and overflowing. Thanks be to God. Amen.